Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. One twenty-fourth. One twenty-fourth. When we gather for worship, we gather for approximately an hour. I say approximately because occasionally it's a few minutes past an hour. I'm looking at Tad and Gary because they're the ones that are responsible for editing. And so if I preach a little longer, sometimes it's a little beyond that. It gets to an hour and 15 minutes, one twenty-fourth. One hour of our day on Sunday, or as Providence would have it, Wednesday today, is devoted to listening to the Word being preached and worshiping Jesus. If that is the only time that you focus your attention on God during the week, that is one hour out of 168 other hours of your week that you're focused on worshiping Jesus. Now, when we think about that, we think about that in light of theology, in light of scriptural testimony, in light of biblical doctrine, and all of those things. Is that nearly enough time for us to follow Jesus in every part of our day? I want to tell you this. It is tremendously important that you worship with us. And I don't just mean that you're in person with us. I know many of you are still at home. That's, that's okay. We'd like for you to be back. We invite you to come back. But, but you're focusing on worshiping Jesus in your living room. Fantastic. That's wonderful. But we can do all the right things inside that one hour. Or if you go to Sunday school, that would be two hours out of 168 hours. And depending on what you do in your personal quiet time, it might be a little bit more. But my point is this, we can do all the right things inside those moments that are supposed to be spiritual moments that are underneath the direction of God's Word, that are focused on God, that are focused on Scripture, that are focused on learning, and we can still completely blow it in those 160 plus other hours of our week that God still desires that we walk with Him and that we follow Him. Ray Ortland, in his commentary on the book of Proverbs, put it this way. He said, even if we do seek the holiness of the law, and we do, even if we are inspired by the visions of the prophets, and we are, we can still make a mess of our lives, our families, our churches, our workplaces, our communities, if we are unwise. One of the reasons that the book of Proverbs is so helpful for us as followers of Jesus is because God intends to, did give us a book and intends for us to follow the direction and the instructions of a book that will help us in all of those other 168 hours of the week that are up to us to figure out how we live, how we put into practice, how we act, how we behave, how we talk, how we interact, how we relate, how we spend that time. If we learn to do that in a wise way underneath the prescriptions of God, then the book of Proverbs is here to tell us that we have some blessings that are in front of us. I'm indebted to Ray Ortland for how I'm going to kind of divide, at least initially, this particular sermon. In Proverbs 3, 1 through 8, he divided it this way. He said the first four verses are about the peace that God gives or the shalom that God gives. And verses 5 through 8 are about the demands that God expects. 
what demands He expects of us in terms of how we experience the blessings of God. In chapter 3, for example, here are some of the blessings that God provides. We'll read the text 1 through 8 in just a moment, but here's some of the blessings in chapter 3. Some of the incentives for walking wisely. Get this. Length of days and long life. Sounds good, right? You want that? How about straight paths? What about healing and refreshment? Do you want full barns and wine vats? Well, we're Baptists, so maybe not the wine vats, but you can go back and read the imagery of that in Proverbs 3, verse uh, verse 10. How about uh, better profit than silver or gold? Did you realize wisdom is better for you than silver or gold? What about this, that wisdom is more precious than jewels? How about this blessing, long life and riches? How about a tree of life and blessing? How about life for the soul and adornment for the neck? Verse 22. What about secure footing? Anybody want secure footing? I don't mean that you don't need a cane or a walker. I mean the spiritual footing, the, the stability of your spiritual life. That's verse 23. How about this, fearless sleep? How many of you want to go to bed and not be worried? And not wake up worried? And not wake up in the morning worried? And not wake up in the morning how worried you were because you couldn't sleep at night and frustrated? Fearless sleep. That's a, an incentive, a blessing that is promised in the book of Proverbs chapter 3. How about this? Confidence in the Lord's protection. Verses 33 through 35. Blessing, favor, and honor. These are all incentives or blessings that Solomon says come with walking Wisely, walking by faith, faith for everyday living. If we will abide by the principles that God's given us, He's given us some confidence that we can expect some of these blessings in our lives. Now you're going to pause for a second, and, and, and I get you because I've done this too, but hold on a second. The book of Proverbs is a book of Proverbs. They're not promises. And we do have to be careful because they are to be interpreted a little differently than a word from Jesus' mouth there where he says, I'll be with you always. Does it mean that every time we do the right thing and the wise thing, he's going to bless us abundantly with wealth and riches? We want to read it correctly. So in his commentary on Proverbs, Dwayne Garrett put it this way, and it's a corrective and a reminder for how we interpret these incentives, these blessings, and these promises. He says this, the problem here is not with the Bible, but it's with our failure to grasp the hermeneutics of wisdom literature. By its very nature and purpose, wisdom emphasizes general truth over some specific cases and being. A work of instruction, it frames its teaching in short, pithy statements without excessive qualification. It's not that wisdom writers did not know that life was complex and full of exceptions, but dwelling on those cases would have distracted attention from their didactic purposes. It's, it is general truth that those who fear God and live with diligence and integrity will have lives that are prosperous and peaceful, and that those who are lazy and untrustworthy ultimately destroy themselves. And general truths are the stock and trade of Proverbs. So what I want us to do is as we look at these blessings in chapter 3 and the demands and what God promises, we just remember you can find an exception to every specific rule. But these are general truths, and God promises us that if we will abide by His wisdom, then generally we will see Him engage us in these categories in life. And, and I'll be honest with you, I think I can show you by way of testimony and experience, and even your life and in my life, that these uh, truths bear out in our lives as followers of Jesus. Pick up with me, if you will, in verse 1. We'll read through verse 8. 
My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For a length of days and years of life and peace will they add to you. That's the Hebrew word shalom. It means not just absence of conflict, but it means God's intervention, care, peace in all circumstances of life. How we interact with others, what is going on in our home, what's going on in our heart. There's an internal aspect to it. There's a relational aspect, a spiritual aspect, peace between God, peace with other people. It is a full-on, full-orbed definition of peace. And if we will abide by the teachings of the writer here, then we can expect peace to be a part of our spiritual experience. But notice how he qualifies that. Let your heart keep my commandments. God's peace is not separated from God's expectations. Can't just walk out of here and think, oh, hold on a second. I'm going to get some of that God's peace for me and and ignore everything else he said to us. Pick up in verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, but bind them about your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. In other words, what he's saying is live out the peace and the grace that God's given us. Own it. Live by it. Characterize it. Verse 4. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Good incentives. Encouraging incentives for us as followers of Jesus. Now here are the demands. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That same phrase we looked at last week, fearing the Lord, acknowledging that He is in charge, acknowledging that He is the ruler, and that is the perceptive phrase, the theme phrase of all of the book of Proverbs. And it underscores the demands that God expects of us here in verses 5 and 6. And then verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So what are these demands? What, what, What is it that God expects of us If we're going to experience the peace and the blessings, and and if I can use the word correctly, spiritual prosperity that God wants us to have. How do we we get there? Well, we trust in the Lord with all our heart. Demand number one is this, trust the Lord completely. When he says trust the Lord with all your heart, he means to trust completely, not partially, Not a little bit, but trust completely. The imagery of this word, this particular verb, is very poignant. In the Hebrew language, this word meant to lay down upon. So when we're talking about trust in the Hebrew language, we're not talking about just a cognitive acceptance of a series of facts. Okay, I trust God because I believe Jesus came and died on the cross. I believe those facts. No, trusting is laying down upon. Let me illustrate this way. I've got a stool here. Dr. Mike had used this stool in, uh, in, in the worship service. So I've got a stool here. Now, now, I believe that stool can hold me up. I believe that it is well made. It has four legs. It has braces. has a pad on it. I believe that... that stool can hold me up. By the way, you're acknowledging trust here in this worship service right now. You don't just believe those seats can hold you up. You're trusting that those seats can hold you up. How many of you thought about those seats holding you up when you sat down? Nobody did. You just sat down. Uh, Past experience dictates 
uh, you know, the moment of trust. You do, okay, I've sat in this seat before, and as long as you didn't miss the seat, it's going to hold you up, right? I believe that stool can hold me up. I believe it wholeheartedly. But until I sit on that stool, I have not placed my trust in that stool holding me up. He speak to you a moment for those of you that have not yet followed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There have been many people that have come through the church experience of walking an aisle or accepting a series of facts. Maybe you're watching, maybe you're in the room, maybe you're on Facebook or Vimeo, maybe you're on YouTube or listening by the way the radio, and you would say this is your testimony. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the dead, and I believe that, and I, I, I believe that that happened, and so I think I'm going to go to heaven. Well, the problem with that, well, let me pause and say, let me give you a compliment for a second. If you believe that, that's a good thing because those things are absolutely true. And believing facts is an important step to trusting in Christ, but it is not a sufficient saving event in your life or saving practice in your life, saving demand in your life for you to just believe the facts of the gospel. If you just believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, great, fantastic. James says the demons believe and do shudder and do tremble. Believing the facts is a step, but it is not a sufficient step for you to be saved. We need to move from believing a set of facts to trusting in Jesus alone to be our Savior. And how do we trust? Well, I stop believing that that stool will hold me up. I believe it'll hold me up. It's fantastic. Great. But until I sit on the stool, until I sit on the stool, I'm not exhibiting trust. And I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. And some of you watching, you're that way with Jesus. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not... Am, am I ready? Do, do, do I... Do I want to trust in Jesus? Yeah, I do. But I really don't want to give up this, and I don't want to give up that. And so we're, you're living in this place of limbo. You believe some of the facts of the gospel, but you've not really come to the point where you're ready to say, oh, okay, I, I do believe, I sort of, I, I think I believe, I, I, but I'm not ready to trust yet. And until we're ready to trust that this is, and by the way, I'm still not completely trusting because you know you see my, my foot here. And, and that's not sufficient. When we trust in Jesus, the verb here is to lay down upon. I'm relying on nothing else other than Jesus to be my Savior. And until I'm willing to rely on no one else other than Jesus to be my Savior, I've not moved into saving faith. For those of you that are unbelievers, that don't know Jesus yet, let me implore you to stop just accepting the facts and to stop holding on to whatever it is that you're holding on to and trust in Jesus alone to be your Savior. If you're relying on anything else, if you're relying on good deeds, if you're relying on church attendance, if you're relying on tithing, if you're relying on a membership card, whatever it is that you're holding on to saying that is what I'm relying on to be my Savior, then you're lying down on something, you're trusting in something that will burn away in the flames of hellfire. It will not last. It is not sufficient to save you. 
when, when the phrase here is trust in the Lord with all your heart, trust in the Lord completely, lay down completely on Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you will trust in him alone, then the promise is that he will forgive you and cleanse you and save you. So if you need to do that, I would beg of you not to go any further in your day before you bow your head to King Jesus and say, Jesus, I trust in you alone to be my Savior. Now, the rest of us that are in the room that have done that, and I did that when I was 18, I put my trust in Jesus alone, and God brought me to a place of conversion, and many of you can tell me the testimony of when God brought you to that place of trusting in Jesus alone. I want to remind you that the practice of trusting the Lord completely should not have stopped for you on your day of conversion. The practice of trusting the Lord completely should have continued with you in your spiritual life. But see, what we like to do is we like to trust the Lord almost completely. We do. Do you, do you, do you not? Do you, that's why the next phrase is in there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Here's the second demand. And do not lean on your own understanding. Here's the second demand. It's this. Reject self-reliance deliberately. Here's what we like to do. We like to figure things out. We like to think that we've got our plans and our place and our decisions and our life in order, and we've trusted Jesus for our salvation, but we know how the other parts of our life need to go, and if, we'll just, if God will just listen to our advice, then our lives will go as we think that they ought to go. And what the proverb writer here, Solomon, does is he says to us, do not lean on your own understanding. Reject self-reliance deliberately. Let me give you an image of self-reliance. There was one, once a Scottish woman who went around to different villages to sell her threads and to sell her sewing. The way she would decide which village to go to, she carried a stick with her. She went up, and when she would come to a crossroads where a road went this way, a road went this way, she would take the stick that she had in her hand, and she would toss it up. And whichever way the stick was pointing, that's the way that she would go. Eventually, someone watched her as she was at a crossroads, and she kept tossing the stick up. And then she picked it up, and then she tossed it up, and then she picked it up again, and then she tossed it up. And someone asked her what she was doing. She explained that she tosses the stick up, and whichever way the stick goes is the way that she is pointing. But the stick on this occasion was always pointing to the road on the left, and she wanted to go to the road on the right, because the road on the right was smoother than the road on the left. And so she tossed the stick up enough times until it finally pointed on the road on the right, and she got to go where she wanted to go. Is that not kind of like we are in our relationship with God? We're good when it comes to trusting Jesus alone for our salvation as followers of Jesus. That was settled. It was settled for me when I was 18. It was settled for some of you when you were teenagers, some of you when you were adults, some of you when you were children. And to this point in your spiritual experience, you do not doubt one bit that Jesus forgave you and redeemed you at that moment of confession and conversion. 
But what many of us have done in all of the subsequent years is we have trusted the Lord for our salvation completely, but in all of the other ways in our lives, we have tried every other bit of human wisdom and interaction to figure out what it is that we need to do and how we need to go. Hold on a second. I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to gossip about this situation. I'm going to try to politic. I'm going to manipulate. I'm going to coerce. I'm going to get my way. And what we end up doing is we end up leaning on our own understanding. It never works out well. We need to follow the instructions that are in front of us. By the way, all of this is contingent. Notice in verse 1, let your heart keep my commandments. Trusting in the Lord completely, not leaning on our understanding, is recognizing that God has some things to say to us that we need to pay attention to. One of the greatest ways that you and I can gain spiritual wisdom and guidance for decision-making in life and make sure that we walk wisely is to open this book regularly and let God speak His instructions and His guidance into our lives. And if we look at it and say, like that woman did with that stick, we look at it and say, okay, this book is telling me to go right, but I'm going to go left, then what are we doing? We're leaning on our own understanding. We're rejecting the insights of God. And if we do that, we are sure to not experience the blessings that God promises. Not listening to the instructions is a way to get yourself in trouble. When my wife and I were first married, we had this, uh, what I thought was a pretty good-sized TV at the time. I think it was 27-inch. I don't even know if you can see a 27-inch TV anymore. Uh, I can't, and my eyes aren't that bad. But anyway, we had this 27-inch TV. We had this house that, that God had blessed us with, and, and uh, we, we decided that we were going to buy a TV stand for that TV. We were going to mount the TV on the wall. We put it on the TV stand. And so I got that out, and I'm, I'm not the handiest person in the world, but, but I know my way around a drill and a hammer, and, and, and I, can, I can do a few minor house projects. I've done a few over the years. And so as a young married husband, I thought, yeah, I can put this TV stand together. And I just started looking at it and getting the pieces laid out and doing all this kind of stuff. And I looked at the base of the TV stand and I thought, well, they messed something up because the holes are in the wrong place. So I got my drill out and I fixed it. Put the holes where they needed to be. Until I looked back at the instructions that I had ignored, and uh, for the next like eight years of our lives, we had a TV stand with two little candle holders sitting on the ledge of the base where I had drilled holes that did not need to be there. Folks, when we lean on our own understanding and ignore the instructions, that's exactly what we do with our lives. We put holes where they're not necessary. We make decisions that put us in pickles and in difficult circumstances that we can't get out of on our own. And what God tells us in the pages of the book of Proverbs is to not lean on our own understanding. Reject self-reliance deliberately. Sometimes you just have to look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm not going to listen to myself. I'm not going to do what I think is best because what I think is best may be wrong. I'm going to go to the pages of Scripture. I'm going to bow before God. I'm going to trust in the Lord completely. And then I'm going to do the third thing 
The third demand, which is found in the next verse, in all your ways acknowledge him. In all your ways acknowledge him. So here's the third demand, acknowledge the Lord constantly. How in the world do we transition from not leaning on our own understanding and trusting in the Lord completely? How do we do that on a regular day-to-day basis? How do we make that happen? I'll tell you, it is definitely not by letting the only spiritual experience that we have in our lives be that one hour of worship on Sundays. If this is all you're getting spiritually, I'm going to just tell you it's not enough. If the only time you're concerned about what God thinks of your life and the only time you're concerned about what God wants to say to you is this hour that you're worshiping with us in person or worshiping with us at home, if that's all that is going on in your life, that 124th of today and that 168th of this week is not enough for you to make wise decisions. And I can prove that because you can tell me the choices in your life that you've made. You can look back at the patterns of behavior that you've had. And I can promise you they don't fit the blessings of the rest of Proverbs chapter 3. Some of us have sleep sleep less nights because we have leaned on our own understanding. Some of us don't have spiritual peace because we have done things our own way, because we have ignored what God says, because we have rejected Him, and we know that. You know that. I'm not preaching to anybody. You know. You don't need me to tell you that. You know that by experience. How do we transfer from making sure that we are not leaning on ourselves, rejecting our own self-reliance deliberately, to trusting in the Lord completely? The key phrase is right here. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. Did you catch that phrase? In all your ways. In the way... When you get up out of your bed in the morning, in the way when you make your breakfast, in the way when you go to work, in the way when you speak to your spouse, in the way when you pray for your children, in the way when you go to church, in the way you when you interact with employees or employers or co-workers. What what the writer of Proverbs is telling us, what Solomon is guiding us, is saying that every part of our lives should be touched by acknowledging the Lord. He's not telling us to be some kind of super spiritual like Pharisee. Okay, that's not what he's telling us to do. He's not telling us to preach a sermon in every part of our lives or to pause and pray some holier-than-thou prayer before we get in our car. God, thank you that this is the day you have made, and I trust that you're going to guide my directions as I pull out of my car, I pull out of my driveway. It's not saying that I've got to go to my closet and ask God, Lord Jesus, should I wear a blue shirt today or should I wear a pink shirt? That's getting into the nitty-gritty and the details not helpfully. What he's saying is that in every part of our day, we're to acknowledge that God is both present and God cares about those parts of our day. Do you recognize that God doesn't just care about you when you sit in church on a Wednesday or a Sunday? God cares about you when you are sitting in front of your television, choosing which... Uh, streaming network 
to binge watch. God cares about you. God cares about you when you are confronted with an opportunity at work to do something that is just slightly unethical. But if you do something slightly unethical, you you might benefit by it because you do do a favor for the boss. And if you do a favor for the boss, the boss might do a favor for you. God sees. He cares about you in that moment. He cares about you when you're at home with your kids and everything is going nuts. The noise is overwhelming. The difficulties are overwhelming. The frustrations and the tensions are sky high. He cares about you in that moment. And I want to tell you something. God has an expectation for the way we act in all of those scenarios. You want to know something really wild? The book of Proverbs gives us guidance and instruction in almost every one of those general areas that we might deal with from day-to-day life. What is Solomon telling us? He's telling us that we're to acknowledge God in all of our ways. That God is to be the guide and the lead and the instructor in every category of our lives. And by the way, the only way that that happens for us as followers of Jesus is is with some intentionality. We can't just say, okay, I'll read my Bible for five minutes this morning and I'll go about my day. No, we need to be in an attitude of prayer. That's why Paul taught us that we're to pray at all times. It's not some kind of holier-than-thou Pharisaism. It's not what he's talking about. It's saying being in a constant attitude of prayer where I'm talking to God. God, here's what's going on in my situation. Here's what's going on in my day. Here's the situation that I'm dealing with. I'm going to acknowledge you. Here's a practice. How about when you get in your car before you go home? God, I acknowledge you in the way that I'm going to drive home. I I shared a couple of weeks ago in a sermon that I had a tendency to drive faster than I should. You know know what God's done with me? He's convicted me of that. He really has. And you know what I think about nearly every time I get in my car now? Slowing down. Seriously. Uh, Looking, what's the speed limit here? And I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not even trying to tell you that I am. But I am trying to tell you God spoke to me about that. And God, you know, I'm trying to be right in that area of my life. That's a way to acknowledge God in all of your ways. How about this one? When the Lord speaks to you because you spoke out of turn to your spouse or to your kids. He does. He will. You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't need to preach at you. You know. Well, how about when he does that, you pause, how would God have me react? Well, he'd have you confess, and he'd have you acknowledge your error, and he'd have you tell your kids you're sorry, or your spouse you're sorry. My point is this, acknowledging God in all your ways is us accepting the fact that God wants to have influence in all our parts of life. Here's the promise. Acknowledge God in all your ways, and he will make your paths straight. Don't you wish that God would let you know how next week's going to turn out? When, when I think about that verse, I think, you know, God, you know, uh, we've been through 16 months of, of pandemic protocol and response. It'd be really awesome, God, if you tell me how things should be next year. What, what should things look like next month? How should we work through the next set of decisions we've got to make? God, will you tell me the decision I need to make that will affect my life for the next 10 years? Will you, will you show me? Will you give me a snapshot, a kind of futuristic video uh, of, of where I'm going to be in 15 years? 
How many of you have wanted things like that? I have. I've wanted God to say, okay, I'm going to trust you today, but it would be really awesome, Lord, if you would show me where that's going to lead. He never does that. One of Rabbi Ben-Jokai's scholars asked him a question that leads to this kind of topic. He said, why did the Lord not furnish enough manna for Israel for a year all at one time? And have them store up all that manna for a year. Here was the teacher's answers. He says, I'll answer you with a parable. Once there was a king who had a son to whom he gave a yearly allowance, paying him the entire sum on the fixed date. It soon happened that the day on which the allowance was due was the only day of the year in which the father ever saw his son. So the king changed his plan and gave his son day by day that which sufficed for the day. And then the son visited his father every morning. How he needed his father's unbroken love, companionship, wisdom, and giving. Thus God dealt with Israel and deals with us. Why are we to acknowledge God in all of our ways? Why are we to trust that God will direct our paths, not for next week or next month or next year, but for today, so that we can be in fellowship with Him, so that we can trust Him, so that we can depend on Him? And here's what's amazing. For most of you, if you'll look back in your lives, and yeah, there are some dark spots and there are some frustrating moments there are some places that you don't necessarily want to revisit. There are some sins that you could look back and see, okay, this sin led me to this season of life, and I don't want to revisit that. But if we're really honest with ourselves as followers of Jesus, if we turn around and we look back at our lives, even when we haven't applied Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, do you know what you're going to discover? Over and over and over again, God was directing your steps. God protected you. God guided you. God defended you. God was with you. And folks, that reminds us that here's what we should do. Acknowledge Him in all our ways. Because as He has done, so He will do moving forward. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you will. Maybe you're here, and you have not put your trust in Jesus alone. Today's the day of salvation. Trust Him to be your Savior. Maybe you're here, and you're in one of those moments in life where you're trying to figure out, what do I do next? What's the next step on the path that's in front of me? Why don't you come pray? Why don't you come see God for wisdom? Why don't you admit to God that you're not and that you don't know what's best? Refuse to lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him. Trust Him. Seek Him. He'll give you wisdom. Maybe you want to pray for that person who needs to trust in Jesus completely. I'm just going to be honest with you. This evening before church, we were having our prayer time upstairs. And I was blessed to hear the prayers of church member after church member praying for this lost person and that lost person, this individual and that individual that have not trusted in Jesus to be their Savior yet. That was a blessing. That's an encouragement. God's going to answer some of those prayers. I, I hope and pray He's going to answer all of those prayers. Maybe you just want to come pray for that person to trust in Jesus completely. The invitation is open as soon as I conclude praying. Heavenly Father... We admit to you that too often we lean on our own understanding, do things our own way. 
try to make things happen and don't acknowledge you. Forgive us. Help us, as we did at conversion, to trust in you completely. Help us in this moment and in the day going forward to acknowledge you in all of our ways. And we will trust, Lord, that you'll guide us, that you'll direct our steps, that you'll make our paths straight, that you will give us wisdom and instruction and understanding. And as much as you'll give it to us, Father, we pray that you'd help us to follow you and obey you and trust what you say, knowing that you know best. For those, Lord, that don't know you yet, Lord, I'm thinking of names and friends and children and teenagers that have not trusted you completely. They do not trust you with their whole heart. They may believe facts. They may understand the concepts of the gospel. Lord, bring them today. Bring them in this moment to a place where they will trust you and trust you alone for their salvation. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.